And welcome once again, Disability Law Show. Hello, hello, Savan Tamark and Albert Klein here, ready to uh, to rock and roll. To reach out anytime, email us help at disabilityrights.ca. Toll free number, you know it, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, and the website disabilityrights.ca. Catch past shows and links to our television show is there uh, as well, fellas. A lot of stuff to get through today. We'll get to some emails as well. Uh, answer to the five most common questions we get from people who are currently currently on long-term disability that is on the way but first savannah we got uh, a week that was what's happening in your end hey john uh, it's great to be with you and all our listeners uh yeah listen it's been another very very busy week uh and, and you know there's a lot of stuff to talk about so albert and i are here uh, we are we are insurance lawyers disability lawyers but i want to start off the show with something i've spoken spoken about uh, uh the week before uh and that's in regards to travel insurance uh, I am finding that more and more people are contacting me from literally across Canada uh, because they had to cancel their travel plans when COVID hit the country when it came here around March, Marchish time, uh, and the government of Canada started issuing travel advisories. And uh, what's happened is that uh, many of these individuals have had travel insurance with various uh, uh, travel insurers. Uh, sometimes insurance through their credit cards with one of the major banks. And, and they've all gotten, all these individuals have gotten denials. Uh, the insurance companies are saying, we're not going to refund you, reimburse you for the uh, trip uh, expenses because you, are, uh, you have been issued a credit or a voucher by the vendor. So if somebody had a cruise, for example, uh, or, or uh, you know, a flight somewhere in the world and they canceled because of COVID, they made a claim for that expense and the insurance company says we're not going to reimburse you because the airline or the cruise company or whoever else is offering you a credit. And when those individuals look at their policies, I mean, remember, it's really, really important here. When, when uh, you know, the, 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 the insurance company uh, um, uh, denies the claim, they are taking the position that because you are being offered a voucher or a credit, you are disentitled to cash reimbursement. They're not going to reimburse you. But when, when, I, when I looked at those policies, and many of those policies, it doesn't say anything about a person uh-huh. not getting reimbursement if they're offered the credit. Remember, remember, and this, this is, this is you know, tying into what we talk about when we talk about disability claims. The insurance company cannot stop your benefits. They cannot deny your claim unless they have a valid reason, unless your reason is explicitly rooted in the insurance contract that you have with your insurance company. Uh, And this is absolutely key because insurance companies deny claims each and every day all over the place, whether they're, you know, fire claims or travel insurance claims or disability claims, any kind of claims, insurance companies are in the business of making money. And one of the ways they do that is by denying claims, keeping the money that they owe you and keeping also the premiums that they've been paid. Uh, so this is what I want to, you know, raise to people that if, if you've been denied your travel insurance claim on the basis that you are being offered a credit and you know you're not going to use that credit anytime soon, right? With the whole COVID thing raging all over the world, no vaccine yet. Yeah. You know, people are saying to me, I'm not going to, that credit is useless to me. And in any event, how can the insurance company be denying that claim if in fact the insurance policy does not allow them to? It doesn't say anywhere in the policy that if I get a credit, then I'm not supposed to be getting my money back right now. So, you know, if you're one of those individuals, feel free to contact me and I'll speak with you again for free and just tell you what I think about your case and what your options are. But I'm seeing this more and more happening and it's very, very disturbing, John, because a lot of people across the country, you know, have lost thousands of dollars that they should actually be getting reimbursement for, that they've paid good premiums for to their insurance companies. 
Again, reaching out, guys, anytime, 1-855-821-5900. I know you got something else to discuss, Savannah. Uh, Albert, what's going on? We'll bounce over to uh, to your side for a sec. What's uh, what's happening with you? Yeah, thank you, John. So I have kind of an interesting case that came up last week. Uh, it was one of our intakes that spoke with me, and I dealt with this situation before, so I figured I would bring it up so that our listeners could benefit from it. Uh, we hear this time and time again. It's my client uh, has, has some depression and anxiety, and uh, it's quite debilitating. Uh, he's been unable to work, and uh, recently he was on LCD, and he started having some drinks to cope with his depression. Nothing too, nothing too crazy, maybe a drink or two a night, and his doctor started making note of that. And because of that, the insurance company is now insisting that he has to go to a 120-day rehab program and he says, I don't have a drinking problem. Uh, of course, I'm not a doctor. I don't know whether he does or doesn't. Uh, but I have to go with what he's saying and what he's telling me. And so really what, uh, what you need to do, because 120 days is a long time to be, uh, to be kept in a rehab facility. Uh, what you ultimately need to do is you need to get your doctors on board. If your doctors don't think that you have a drinking problem, uh, if your doctors support that really the reason for your, uh, for your inability to work is your depression and your anxiety and not the fact that you have a drink or two a night, your, your doctor needs to write that and you need to convey that to the insurance company. Because it doesn't make sense at all if you actually don't have a drinking problem that you're going to have to, um, you're, you're going to have to go to a 120 day rehab program just because the insurance company is trying to force your hands and tell you if you don't go to this rehab program, we're going to cut you off. They really try and use every single piece of leverage that they can to cut you off. And this is just another instance of that. Suzanne, have you ever heard of anything like this? It's crazy. Yeah, listen, I mean, I've heard of this, and you and I have spoken about this before. Uh, but I think just the general message is, uh, you know, for people out there, if you feel that the insurance company is doing something they're not supposed to, if they are asking you to do something that you feel, you know, raises red flags, reach out to us. Again, it doesn't cost anything to speak to a member of the team, myself, Albert, one of us here. There's a whole bunch of us uh, in all our offices, in, in, in Ontario, in NBC, and we will help you through it. In many instances, these requests are unreasonable. Uh, in some instances, by the way, I do tell people that whatever the insurance company is asking for is reasonable, right? It's not like we always say that the insurance company is always wrong. They're not always wrong. It's very important to understand that. But we are here, I think, as gatekeepers, that's how I see ourselves, uh, and as protectors for the public. Uh, because insurance companies, they're sophisticated entities, these adjusters, that's what they do for a living. So Albert, I'm not surprised at all at what, uh, what you've described here. And I think, again, the message is, if you have any questions about your specific situation, or perhaps a situation of a friend or a colleague, reach out to us, and we will answer your questions. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number that uh, Savannah's referring to. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Going to keep motoring along here, guys. Savannah, it's back to you. Uh, what do you got going on with uh, your other half of the week that was? All right, John. Well, actually, I have a couple more. So, so let's start okay. with this one. This cool. is a question that was just posted to our website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Remember, it's a free website. You can post your LTD questions, long-term disability questions for free, and you'll get answers from me. And this is coming from Jim, and here's what Jim wrote. Uh, and Albert, I'm going to ask you what you think about this as well. Can my insurer force me to participate in a return-to-work plan that I feel isn't right for me? If my doctor is on my side with respect to hours and, and days, 
how to navigate potentially losing my LTD benefits in such a case, or even my job? Can I risk frustration of contract termination? So, so let me break this down, and then I'll, I'll have Albert chime in here. First of all, the insurance company cannot force you to participate in a return-to-work plan that is not right for you. Okay, That's unequivocal, especially if your own doctor says, no, you are not ready to go back to work, uh, or if the insurance company is asking you to do something that either you are not trained for or that you're simply unable to because of a, phys- you know, a, a physical issue or a psychological issue or, or a mixture of the two. So, so th- that's, the, that's the number one thing here. Remember, I, th- the word that this person uses is force. An insurance company can't actually force you to do anything. They're not going to bring a gun to your head, put a gun to your head and say, do it or else. What they may do is they may tell you that if you don't comply, then you are in breach of the policy. And the result of that is that they'll cut off your benefits. So that's how they muscle their way uh, uh, in, in, into persuading you, you know, in a, in, in, in a very real sense, to do what they, what, what they want you to, to, to do. Here's the thing. Uh, if that happened to you, and you and your doctor are on the same page that you cannot do it at this point, or it's not right for you, get that letter, that note from your doctor that explains why, give that to the adjuster, send it to them in writing, explain to them your hesitation, your concern, your doctor's concern, and if the insurance company, the adjuster, responds back saying, despite that, we're going to cut you off if you don't do it, then immediately reach out to us. Because sometimes when we intervene, even a quick email from myself, Albert, or a member of the team, sometimes pushes back against what the adjuster is doing. You know, insurance adjusters understand that people that they're dealing with, claimants, are in a precarious state, that they're in a very vulnerable state. And unfortunately, to me, it seems like sometimes they take advantage of that. Right, because people are just in a very, very vulnerable situation. They don't want to lose their benefits. They're afraid, so they'll do whatever the insurance company tells them to do. So, no, you should be standing up for your rights. And if you don't stand up for your rights, next time it's going to get worse. Not to mention the fact that if you actually go back to work or try that return to plan, it could actually backfire. You can end up getting much, much worse as a result. You know, and then you're going to be back to your doctor, and the doctor says, "Well, I told you not to go back." So no, you do not have to participate in one of these return to work programs if you are not ready, and if your doctor says you're not ready. On the issue of frustration of contract, this is an employment uh, uh, concept, and what it says is what it means is that if you are disabled indefinitely at some point, and I, I think it's a it's a factual determination depending on on when uh, uh, that happens and the type of job and all that. Lior usually talks about this. At some point, the employer can take the position, well, you frustrated the employment contract, meaning that you're not coming back here, so we don't owe you severance. Again, this brings about the fact that we at our firm practice both disability law and employment law. So we have lawyers, it wouldn't be me or Albert, but it'll be somebody else on the team who could help you and answer your questions when it comes to that. And of course, it's absolutely key, John, we talk about this all the time, that people on disability often have employment issues, and people on employ- who have employment issues those issues often stem from a disability or some kind of a psychological issue. So very important to reach out to us because we have the resources and the people to tell you what your rights are, both on the employment side and the disability side. So, so you know, those, those are my comments. Albert, anything on your side here in terms of, uh, you know, insurance companies forcing uh, people to try return to work program? Uh, my only real comment is that, if they are trying to force you to participate in some return-to-work program or a gradual return-to-work program, find out the nature of exactly what they're asking you to do. Because 
it makes a lot more sense to say no to something when you have full clarity. And then you can say, you can present that to your doctor and you can, you can say or ask them, do you think I can do this? Do you think I can do this gradual return to work program where I'm working four hours a day doing these types of duties? And then your doctor's, uh, your doctor's letter and what you, and when you say that you can't do it, it's going to be all that more compelling. So definitely get it in writing what they're asking you to do. Present that to your doctor and ask them whether or not they believe you're capable of participating in it. At the end of the day, you probably know whether or not you can participate in it or not, but it's still good to have that doctor's support written down. Coming up, guys, the five most common questions we get from people who are currently on long-term disability. That is on the way. First, though, quick break to get right back at it. Toll free, anytime. Call the guys, one 855 821-5900. Website is disabilityrights.ca. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email we'll get to here in just a little bit. And you can also answer your questions absolutely free. And it's uh, it's got a database as well. Your question may have already been asked and answered uh, thoroughly. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can go there as well. Disability Law Show continues. This is Global News Radio. And welcome back to it, Disability Law Show. Glad you're uh, joining us uh, today. You want to reach out to Albert or Savannah, a member of their team, do so. Even just for a chat, one 855 Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to some emails and our topic for the day. And that is the five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD. That is on the way. But first, you had something else to uh, discuss, Savannah. Go for it. Yeah, I had an interesting query that came uh, again late last week, uh, and this one was addressed to to one of the members on our team, and and she emailed it to me, and and here what she said, she says, uh, she mentioned the individual's name who contacted us, so I'm not going to say that on air, uh, but but this person is calling in regards to his disability issue. He's currently receiving long term disability and has received a document in the mail from Drive Test. He, he's a, a a truck driver by profession. Uh, This document says that he needs to renew his license uh, to be able to continue to be a truck driver, but he's, of course, on LTD. Due to his disability, he is sure that he will fail the test. He is wondering if if he fails the test, does that give the insurance company a right to cut him off long-term disability? And, and this does come up occasionally when people, you know, who are in certain professions and, and require a certain designation, whether it's here like a license or something else that requires them to have these ongoing tests or, or qualifications. And they're concerned because, well, what happens? What happens if I don't pass that, that you know, qualifying exam or, or certification or whatever it is? You know, again, knowing that an insurance company use everything to try and cut you off benefits, is that going to give him a right? So my response to him is absolutely not. If anything, I think that, you know, if he fills that test as a result of his disability, it's yeah. going to give him more ammunition uh, to fight the insurer if, in fact, they cut him off. I don't think they will cut him off. What I think may happen, and this is where there is a nuance here, I think the insurance company is going to try and assess whether or not he failed the test as a result of something else other than his disability. Because let's say that he fails the test because he was late for the test, as an example. Well, the insurance company at that point, I can see them taking the position, well, we don't think you're not, you, that, that you're disabled anymore from working, but it looks like you failed the test, so you can't work because you were late for the exam, and, and so therefore we're going to cut you off because had you not been late, you would have passed it, and you would have been able oh to work. God. Now, again, I'm making something up here, right? This all seems very kind of nonsensical because he's already on LTD, he's already disabled. Presumably that's because his doctors confirmed that he's disabled. But don't put anything past the insurance company. I can see an insurance company taking that position if 
failing the test in, in this individual's uh, situation is not connected to his disability. So what I would tell him is I would say, if you in fact fail the test, make sure that you speak with your doctor about it, make sure that your doctor provides a letter that confirms that that doctor's opinion is that you failed the test as a result of your disability. I think it's not a must to have this letter, but I think it's going to further inoculate, further protect him from uh, having the insurance company take the position that he failed the test as a result of something other than his disability, and that that's the reason why he's not working rather than his disability. So, you know, again, the message, the general message here is be very careful. It's a good thing that this person has reached out to us. Now we give we give him the advice he needs, again, at no cost. Hopefully that's going to help him not get cut off by the insurance company. Uh, but as you can see, there are nuances to all these situations. You know, when I used to do personal injury, uh, car accident claims, slip and fall claims, all these things, we used to joke amongst ourselves and, and with defense lawyers that, all of these cases, even though we're dealing with individuals who've been injured, they're fairly similar. A car accident is a car accident. Yes, of course, we're dealing with a different individual, different injuries, but the cases are, are almost, they're not identical, obviously, but there are many, many similarities. Long-term disability cases are extremely nuanced. In fact, they're so nuanced that we have to spend that much more time examining the insurance company's file because oftentimes what the adjuster does from one claim to the next is so different. And, and you know, you can have the same result with two individuals getting cut off long-term disability with the same kind of an illness or an injury. And yet in one instance, the insurance adjuster has made one mistake. And in the other one, the insurance adjuster has made a different mistake, you know. And, and so it's really important to, to understand that when you're dealing with long-term disability insurance companies, you want to make sure that you have as much information and as much knowledge about your claim and about what the insurance company can and cannot do as possible. And that's the, the crux of it, right? It's knowledge is power. So kudos to that person for reaching out to us. Now he knows what he needs to do. If you or someone you know is in that position, in that situation, please reach out to us. We will help you. We will give you the information you need. Albert, what do you think? Any comments on that? Yeah, I agree. You uh, you definitely don't you definitely don't want to just take everything that the insurance company is saying at face value. It kind of ties in with. Our usual point, question, question what the insurance company is saying, uh, call us, get a second opinion. Uh, and I've actually, seen, I've actually seen this happen firsthand, where they're actually trying to use the fact that that person doesn't have a job anymore. And you're going you're gonna to hear us actually talk about this later, but uh, it's very similar to an insurance company actually saying, because of COVID, uh, that means you don't have a job. And because you don't have a job, it's kind of moot whether or not you can work or not work which isn't true at all because the, the test for disability, the test for whether you should get paid disability benefits has nothing to do with whether the job is available or not. It has to do with your functionality, your ability to do those tasks of your job. Guys, let's get right into this. We've been waiting for it, so I want to uh, get down to uh, some of these talking points. There's five of them, as a matter of fact, and that is the five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD. I know we could do 105, but we, uh, for time's sake, we'll get it down to these top five. Number one is this, and I love this one when we talk about it. Do I have to apply for CPP disability, and what happens if I don't? Savannah, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you, John, not a week goes by where I don't get questions about CPP disability. And, and they're all centered around that same central question here. The insurance company has told me I have to apply for CPP disability. Should I? Should I not? What's the point if the insurance company gets a credit? So, so again, you know, again, there are no stupid questions. It's really important that people are all on the same page here. 
No one can force you to apply for CPP disability, but the vast majority, if not all, insurance policies now, long-term disability policies, contain provisions that say that if you are on LTD, you have an obligation uh, to apply for CPP disability through the government. And in order to get CPP disability, you have to demonstrate that your illness or injury or disability in general is severe and prolonged. And when people say, well, why do I need to apply for this? Okay, the policy says that, but why do I need to apply? What's the benefit to me? Let's say I get it. How much can I get and what do I need to apply? I tell them, look, uh, every year the amounts change, like the ceiling changes. I think at this point, Albert, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's about 1300 bucks. That's the ceiling uh, per month. Uh, but it depends, of course, on your contributions, how long you've worked, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's really important to understand that if you get CPP disability, it doesn't go into your pocket. The insurance company gets a credit for that. So the best example I can give, the easiest example, is if you're getting $2,000 a month from long-term disability and CPP disability approved you for 1000 bucks a month, you're not getting a total of three. You're still getting two. It's just that the insurance company now gets a credit for what you're getting from CPP. So they're paying you only 1000 bucks as opposed to 2000 that they did before. So why should you apply? Well, if you don't apply, uh, the insurance company may very well, and this is what they often do, is they estimate what they think you ought to be getting or you should have gotten had you applied, and they'll simply reduce unilaterally your monthly benefits by that amount that they estimate. So if you don't apply, you're going to go down with your LTD anyways. You're going to get less money, so you might as well apply. Number two, in some instances, I have seen insurance companies take the position that contractually, under the policy, you have an obligation to apply. If you don't apply, you're in breach of the policy. Therefore, we are we're going to, to cut you off because you haven't complied with all the terms of your policy. We, again, we can help you with that. Uh, I don't think the insurance company is actually allowed to cut you off, but they sometimes do that. But here are the benefits. Let's assume for a second you get CPP disability. The insurance company then is faced with a situation where the government has now confirmed that from their standpoint you are disabled and it makes it more difficult, not impossible, but difficult for them to argue that you are no longer disabled under the LTD policy, right? It's a disincentive for them to take that position that they're going to cut you off, and they often don't. The other uh, positive here is that if, in fact, you get CPP disability and get cut off, well, guess what? You still have that CPP disability income coming in while we fight the insurance company right. for a settlement that's owed to you. So that's important as well. Uh, I believe Terry Corcoran, who is uh, our, our resident insurance expert, has mentioned before, I don't want to put words in his mouth, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think he mentioned to me that if, in fact, you get CPPD, that may actually uh, uh, mean that you get uh, either the same or more money later on when you apply when, or when you transition to regular CPP. Again, you can verify this. You can call the CPP office and find this out. And frankly, if you want to know how much you'd be entitled to for CPP disability, you can also call the CPP office and they will tell you. They will give you, I think, up to the cent, uh, uh, the precise amount that you would uh, be receiving if you qualify for CPP disability. So the general answer is, if you don't, you're going to have problems potentially with your insurance company if you don't apply. If you do apply and you get it, 
it's going to, I think, give you more benefits um, down the road. Uh, and, and you know, frankly, even if you apply and you don't get accepted, at least you've shown the insurance company that you applied, so they can no longer just estimate how much they think you ought to be getting and reduce your LTD monthly benefits accordingly. So again, if anybody there, if I haven't covered some question about CPP disability, feel free to reach out to me or post your question uh, on, on, on our website. MyDisabilityQuestions.com is one of them, and we will answer those questions. It really sounds like there's no downside to it. I mean, it might take a little time to apply and so on and so forth, but there's no downside to it. I mean, you, you can't there's hurt no you downside. Doing that. Yeah. No, it, it's not going to hurt you. And even if there was a downside that somebody can think of, um, such as oh my God, I have to apply to something else now, I think the pros uh, outweigh the cons here. And again, remember, if it's in your policy, you're supposed to be doing it anyways, so you might as well do it. Let's move on to uh, to number two, guys. We got, still got a few minutes here to go, and the the, the uh, tie, uh, top five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD. Do I have to see the doctor the insurer wants me to go to for an assessment? Not treatment, but assessment. Albert, what do you think? So, John, we see this all the time. I actually get this question probably multiple times a week, uh, and uh, the, the the general the general answer is many of these policies actually entitle the insurance company to have you assessed by one of their doctors. It's part of the adjudication phase uh, and allows them to kind of make that determination for themselves as to whether or not they believe you are disabled. They often don't do it because they don't want to spend the money on their own doctors. When they do want to spend their money on their own doctors, it's obviously for a reason. It's because they want an opinion that you can't or that you are able to go back to work. And, of course, if they're paying their doctors, they're going to find doctors that are willing to write those opinions, usually. Uh, so what I'd recommend uh, that you do in the event that they're sending you to a doctor or want to send you to a doctor, A, give us a call. We'll tell you what exactly you can expect, how to prepare for the questions, uh, what sorts of questions they're going to ask. Uh, just make you feel a lot more comfortable with the process. Uh, as well, you want to find out who the doctor is that uh, they're intending to send you to, what date it's going to be on, Send that to your doctor and then make sure you get a copy of the report afterwards because you're going to want your doctor to help scrutinize any of the findings that the insurance doctor is writing. And at the end of the day, you know how you feel. Your doctor knows how you feel. Both of those opinions are going to be much more compelling than anything that an insurance doctor has to say. So don't worry. Just give us a call and you will be fine. Savannah, we've got about a minute or so left. You want to comment quickly, or we can come back and you can uh, you can fill in the blanks. No, I, I agree with everything that Albert just said. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you have to go to these assessments. Um, but again, if you have questions about those, uh, you know, we we advise people on those. Many people contact us uh, once they're told by their insurance company that they need to go to one of these assessments so we can advise them. We've written articles about this, you know, these, this yep. topic. Albert's spoken to countless people exactly about that because, you know, they're very apprehensive. People are naturally very suspicious of these doctors that the insurance companies are, are hiring to assess them uh, for the reasons that Albert uh, mentioned. So feel free to give us a call. Again, it's not going to cost you anything to speak with us. You want to be informed. You want to get that information. Knowledge is power. I can't emphasize that enough we'll continue with the uh, top three most common questions that we get from people who are currently on ltd that is on the way first we'll take a, a short pause guys and get right back at it toll free one 855 821 the website for more information and links to our television show as well and email is help at disabilityrights.ca as well this is the disability law show it's here on global news radio
And welcome back, Disability Law Show. You want to uh, ask some questions, answers free, mydisabilityquestions.com. The phone number, toll free, 1-855-821-5900. Reach out to Savannah or Albert or a member of the team. We are in the middle of this, guys, counting down the list of the uh, top five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD. Just before we uh, took a break, we talked about, do I have to go see the doctor of my insurer's choosing for an assessment? And the follow-up question to that one, the obvious one, is do I have to go to the clinic the insurer wants me to go to for treatments? Savan? The answer is no. The answer is no. In fact, it's not only a no, uh, it's a hard no. Look, unless your policy says you must do X and Y expressly, Unless there is a provision that says you got to go to this clinic or you got, I'm not talking about get reasonable treatments, okay? Because provisions like that exist everywhere where a policy says in order to get LTD and, and continue getting LTD, you have to get reasonable treatments for your condition, for your disability. That makes sense. Of course, you know, any common sense individual uh, person that wants to get better is going to try and get treatments for their condition. Nobody wants to be disabled. Nobody in their right mind, at least. Uh, so, so really, it's really important to understand that uh, your insurance policy will not have a provision. I have never seen one that says you have to go to a specific doctor for treatments or a specific clinic for treatments. But what insurance companies often do is they'll tell you, we want you to go to that clinic. Well, to me, that's very suspicious. And uh, I, I always raise my eyebrows when I hear that. And when, when, I, when somebody tells me this is what my adjuster said, because my question is, why is the adjuster telling me to go to that specific clinic? Maybe they have good people there. Maybe they have good doctors, good chiropractors, you know, physiotherapists, whoever. But again, why that clinic? What are you, insurance company, getting from sending me to that clinic? And I'll tell you what I have seen in the past, and this is why I'm very concerned about these kinds of requests. I have seen situations where somebody goes to a clinic that the insurance company sent them to or referred them to, and that person is getting treatments that like their treatment provider, and then months down the road, or perhaps even a year or two down the road, they're still not better, they're still not ready to go back to work, but whoever's treating them wrote to the insurance company and gave them an update on your condition, and the update doesn't jive with reality, meaning your physiotherapist who you've liked and who's been treating you tells the insurance company, oh, I think this person is now ready to go back to work, when in fact that's not the case. And the reason why I think that sometimes happens is because perhaps these uh, practitioners and these clinics, they know who feeds them. It's the insurance company who pays for these treatments. So these physiotherapists or chiropractors or whoever else is in that clinic has a, a, an interest in making sure that the insurance company is happy. And, and one, way to, one way to make the insurance company happy is to give them what they want. And what they want is something to latch on to to potentially cut off your benefits. And I have seen this time and time again. Again, it doesn't mean that the practitioner treating you is not good. But I think there is a conflict, a conflict of interest there between the practitioner having to treat you and have your best interest at heart and the insurance company that they're trying to satisfy so that they can send them more people to their clinic. So that's why I tell people, go to your family doctor for a recommendation for a clinic. Uh, speak with friends, speak with colleagues. Maybe you've already been going to a certain clinic and you're comfortable with those people. I would... I would strongly urge you not to go to a clinic or a doctor that the insurance company tells you to go unless you are comfortable with that risk, that conflict, or at least the potential conflict that I had mentioned. Now, I want to put a caveat here. Sometimes a person lives somewhere where there is just no access to a practitioner. Uh, I don't know, whatever the disability is. Maybe it's a psychologist, a psychiatrist, uh, whoever it is. 
and maybe the insurance company has found somebody that can actually treat you. In other words, you don't have any other choices. It's either not getting any treatments at all or going to whoever the insurance company is sending you to. Well, in that case, I think you have to take that risk that I had mentioned before because you still want to get better. And you still have an obligation under the policy to undertake and and, and, and undergo reasonable treatments for your condition. So in a case where you have no other options, I think you do need to do whatever the insurance company is telling you in order to try and get better. But again, it's a case-by-case situation, fact scenario. If you have questions about this specific situation that's happening to you or someone you love, give us a call. Again, speak with us. We will speak with you about your specific circumstance and tell you what we think you should or should not do. At the end of the day, you're going to do whatever you think is right for you. But that's that's my concern always when somebody tells me, should I go to this clinic or to this doctor that the insurance company is telling me to go to? You know, it's like having a car accident, John, and the insurance comp- company saying to you, we, we really want you to go to that uh, um Mechanic, that yeah. that body shop, yeah. It's like, why yeah. do you want that? Yeah, I remember that there was uh, the, 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 there was a huge, um, I think it was an undercover uh, documentary or, or some kind of, a, of of a show they did in the states uh, where where they blew the lid out of this thing where insurance companies would send you to these body shops and they found out that all these body shops that the insurance companies would go to, insurance companies would be paying a lot less. Uh, to those body shops, and in those body shops, apparently they were using either used equipment parts or, or yeah. substandard equipment parts. So, so again, you know, I'm not saying this is what's happening here. I'm just saying again, why is the insurance company? Why are they so vested in you going to that specific clinic? Okay, that's my message. So just be, just question that and be very careful. Albert. Yeah, usually if the insurance company is doing something, and you get that kind of spidey sense, if you will, for those comic book readers or something just doesn't feel a little bit right, you're probably spot on the mark. Usually you can kind of sense when something doesn't feel right. And as soon as you do, give us a call right away. We'll speak to you free of charge. Uh, You don't really lose anything by doing it. You might, you might as well call us. And uh, uh, the insurance company is never going to do anything that doesn't ultimately benefit them. So even if they, even if they are sending you for treatment, why do they want to send you for treatment? Because they want they want you, they want their doctor to be able to say that you're better, or they want to just get you off of claim. Be very very weary of that, as Savannah was saying. Give us a call anytime. You bet, guys. That number, uh, by the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Toll free, of course. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to the top two reasons uh, and questions, rather, why we get to, or what we get from people who are currently on LTD. That is coming up after a short break. This is the Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. And we're back, Disability Law Show, reaching out to Savannah or Albert and a member of their team. If uh, only for a chat, do so. Don't hesitate for yourself or on behalf of a, a colleague or a a family member, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number. Help at disabilityrights.ca. All right, five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD. We're down to the top two, guys. Number two is this one. Do I have to take medications or do treatments prescribed by the insurer's doctor if my own doctors don't agree with it? This is even a bigger hard no than the previous point that we made about going to a clinic that the insurance company tells you to go to for treatments. Hmm. It's really quite simple. If your doc, well, not if, follow your doctor's treatment recommendations. If the insurance doctor or insurance assessor suggests some kind of a treatment, whether it's a medication or other kind of treatment, and 
you take this to your own doctors and your own doctors say, yeah, sure, that makes sense, let's try it, by all means do it. By all means do it. But if your own doctors say, no, do not do this, or perhaps you've tried those medications before and you had a very bad reaction, no, you have no obligation to do it. Remember, your obligation is to undertake and, 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 and follow reasonable treatments and, and recommendations. And those come from your own doctors. Now, again, I'm not saying that the assessors that the insurance companies utilize and hire have, you know, some kind of, a, of, a, of an agenda here, uh, you know, that, that, that is adverse to you. That's not the case. It's just that a lot of these assessors, remember, they're hired by the insurance company. They are paid by the insurance company. Their job is to appease the insurance company. They won't admit to that, but that's the reality because they're getting thousands of dollars whenever they get to assess uh, a patient, somebody like yourself. So oftentimes, they will try and poke holes in whatever your doctors are doing, and they'll try to recommend certain, certain other things, other treatments. If they do that, again, you don't say no immediately. What you do is you take that to your own doctors. You see what your doctors have to say. If your doctors agree that that's something you should try, absolutely do it. In fact, I think you have an obligation at that point to do it and to try it. If, however, your doctors disagree, then you don't do it. Then you explain that to the adjuster. In fact, you provide some kind of a note or report from your doctor that says that, you know, as per your doctor's recommendations, you're not going to do that. If the insurance company gets mad okay, and says, well, we're going to cut you off, trust me when I tell you we can help you in that situation. Do not put your health in harm's way. Do not do something just to appease the insurance company that's going to backfire, that's going to make you feel worse, that's going to take your whatever progress you've made health-wise and, and, and put it back three steps uh, you know, behind. Don't do that. Uh, and the insurance company has no right to force you to do that. Albert, what do you think? You know what's kind of funny, John? Uh, a lot of times, the, the assessors that the insurance companies pick aren't even specialized to make an opinion on <laughs> that person's specific diagnosis. So time and time again, in fact, I see this all the time, and it, it's kind of enraging. You'll, you'll have someone, uh, recently, actually last week, I saw someone who no longer even practiced medicine, uh, now providing an opinion on someone's wow. ability to work. And the person had very, 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 very uh, uh, entrenched psychological issues, uh, was dealing with bipolar disorder, which not just any kind of lay person is truly going to understand how it impacts them. And yet this doctor who hasn't, hasn't practiced in 25 years is now making an opinion as to whether or not this person can work. And you see that time and time again, or, or someone with very physical issues. I saw someone... Uh, Someone also also recently, uh, just a regular doctor opining on someone's uh, someone's cancer issues. When really, of course, we should be getting an oncologist. Why not just get the right specialist to provide that opinion as to whether or not someone can work? And that's because insurance companies want to get out the cheapest way possible. They want to get you off of claim, and they don't want to hire a specialist. They just want to hire whoever they can so that they can paper their file and say that you're capable of working. Really, that's what it boils down to. Let's get to the last one, guys. Well, we still got a couple minutes to go here. The uh, five most common questions we get from people who are currently on LTD, and that is uh, this one. Do I have to go back to work if my insurance adjuster says so? Well, we covered this at the beginning of the show, John. The answer is no. You absolutely do not have to go back to work uh, if you are not ready for it and if your doctors confirm that you are not ready for it. And if the insurance company says to you, well, if you don't even try 
That's what they'll say. If you don't even try, we're going to end your benefits. Get a letter from your doctor or doctors explaining why it's not the right time, why you can't. Give that to your adjuster uh, in writing. Just email it to them. And if they still maintain they're going to cut you off, give us a call or email us immediately. Because oftentimes when we, can, when we interject uh, before the cutoff, we can, we can often thwart that. We can often you know, push back against the insurance company and, and they lay off the individual because suddenly they have uh, you know, protection, so to speak, right, from us. Uh, but it's really important to understand that if you don't do it and the insurance company says we're going to cut you off, they're going to cut you off. Once it's in the system, once they say at the end of September we're ending your benefits, th- that's exactly what's going to happen. So don't, uh, don't, don't test them on that. Okay, but no, you do not have to go back to work if you are not ready to go back to work or to try to go back to work or if your doctors say that you should not go back to work at this time. You know, Albert, sometimes uh, somebody who hears this from the insurance company, they won't be proactive or don't think they have to be and say, you know what, I'm going to call you guys before this happens and mitigate the damage. They'll just say, well, they're going to say I'm going to wait till I'm cut off. So I'm going to wait till September and then I'm going to deal with it. That's not the right plan, right? I mean, I would always. I, I think it's always better to be prudent. Always better to know what your rights are, kind of in advance. And if you wait until you're actually cut off, that's now three, four, five months uh, that we could have been working on your case. That we could have been that much further down the process to getting you either back on claim or getting uh, getting a lump sum to kind of uh, uh, fully be done with the insurance company. And just just for clarity's sake here, that's usually the way in, the, in which these cases result. Either they put you back on claim quite quickly or they're paying you a lump sum uh, for three, four, five, eight years down the road uh, where you don't have to deal with that insurance company on a day-to-day basis ever again just by starting a legal claim. So absolutely, you want to start right away. So, man, we just got about a minute left. Do you want to just reiterate what we talked about off the top because a lot of people are facing this uh, this issue with uh, travel insurance, right? Yeah, this is something I've been seeing more and more, and it's come to light because of COVID specifically, where uh, once uh, COVID hit the country, once the Canadian government has uh, put out travel advisories, people started canceling left, right, and center their uh, travel plans all over the world, and many individuals have travel insurance, either that they book directly or have through their credit cards, through their banks, and the insurance companies are now and mass denying these claims on the basis that uh, individuals are being offered credits and vouchers. When when you look at the policies uh, that, that underpin these travel insurance policies, uh, they don't allow the insurance companies to 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 you know not reimburse you just because you're being offered a credit. Which by the way, because of COVID, nobody knows if you'll be able to even take advantage of. So if you're in that situation, I realize that the claim may, may be worth a thousand bucks, three thousand, five thousand. I know it's 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 not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. I mean. It is for individuals, but not for insurance companies. But I'd be more than happy to speak with you and give you some insight and give you your options in terms of what you can do. Whether, again, it's with a large insurance company or whether it's through your, your, your credit card. If you've been denied your travel insurance claim on the basis of being offered a credit or a voucher and your policy doesn't give the insurance company a right to do that, give me a call or email me and we'll chat. Guys, well done for another week. We'll leave it there, and please don't hesitate to reach out, if only for a chat with Savan or Albert 
or a member of the team, it's it's really easy, and you're always invited to do so. Toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is that number. You can go to the website anytime disabilityrights.ca. There you will listen to past radio shows and links to the television show as well. We invite you to watch that thirty minute broadcast that we've been doing for years now as well. And if you want to send an email, help at disabilityrights.ca. And I know Savannah mentions it all the time. If you have questions about disability, get some answers quickly. There's a database you can search at mydisabilityquestions.com. Maybe it's already been asked by someone else and answered in depth. If not, leave it there. The guys will get to it uh, rather quickly as well. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. Disability Law Show right here on Global News Radio.